Voting in California begins this week. In fact, you've probably already received your ballot in the mail. Today, we're going to talk about the San Diego Unified School District Board of Education race in sub-district C, which represents coastal San Diego. We have two candidates in this race, educator and parent Cody Pedersen, as well as charter school businesswoman Becca Williams. Both met with the San Diego Union Tribune editorial board this month to discuss the pandemic, gun violence, standardized testing, and more. Here's the first 15 minutes of each of their interviews. To hear the full conversation, go online to sandiegouniontribune.com slash election 2022. Thanks for listening. Okay, today the Union Tribune Editorial Board is joined by Cody Patterson, who is a candidate for San Diego Unified School Board in Subdistrict C. Cody, thanks for joining us today. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And let me um, uh, 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 start by um, bringing up some, jump right into it, bringing up some of the criticism of your opponent, which you are uh, heavily funded by the uh, San Diego Education Association, the Teachers Union, uh, and she's saying that she's not. So her argument is that she would be an independent voice while you would be beholden to those interests. Um, you want to talk about that a little bit, what your approach would be and how much, you know, how much of, of your campaign is reliant on their uh, financial contributions? Mm -hmm. Well, to be clear, I, they, I can't take contributions directly from them, just right. uh, so, so your audience knows. I mean, um, they they in the primary formed an expenditure a pack, um, and drawn that they, yeah yeah and um, I would just say first of all in relation to teachers I I would not run this race without the endorsement and support of teachers um, that's that's not a I I'm I'm capable of fundraising or running a campaign without any IEs or PACs um, so it's not a ultimately a financial question. It's a question of, I'm, I'm born and raised in the, in uh, San Diego. I was brought home from, from the hospital to Mesa grad student apartments. I grew up a block from Ohio elementary uh, with my nuclear family. My mom was PTA president. The teachers were an extended fam extended family for me. Uh, I was saying in an interview the other day, like when I close my eyes, I can still see this, the San Diego fight stencils on the bottoms of, you know, the desks and the sides of projectors, you know? So uh, teachers are a huge part of my life. And, um, so I, number one, I would not run without the support of teachers. Um, and, uh, and I said, when, when I interviewed with them, if the teachers endorse somebody else, I would drop out of the race just per se. Um, obviously teachers, um, classifieds, principals, uh, police officers, um, those uh, employees and, and their bargaining units are uh, uh, the fundamental element of our of our general fund budgets, uh, close to ninety percent of that of the budget. Um, and so, obviously, negotiation with them and and working out their contracts and their benefits and is uh, not their pensions because that's that's essentially established at the state level, but um, is a huge part of um, working out a budget. I, I would say. Um, my, my understanding, you have to ask teachers directly, but my understanding, number one, they want someone competent. I've worked with teachers for a long time. I've worked with um, CTA and NEA and SDEA for, for many, many years uh, doing public education advocacy. Um, I know the issues. I know um, I'm capable of, of um, advocating in Sacramento where most of our budget gets cooked up as well as in, as in um, 
as in DC. So I'd say just on the competence level, I've, I've moved legislation and complex policies through at the county through very um, elaborate bureaucracies. And, uh, and I understand how to, how to do that. So uh, on the competence level and the familiarity with the issues level, I, I, I think they have a lot of faith in that. Also just at the values level, I, I, I'm very open about believing in working people. Uh, I think we can see now with our teacher shortage that the idea that we're somehow going to reduce teacher salaries or reduce teacher budgets is pretty preposterous. In fact, we probably have to, um, uh, particularly in relation to uh, some critical like special education, we, have, we know our shortages where they're more, most critical special education, school counselors, school psychologists, um, UTK, early child education, we're going to actually have to increase uh, opportunities for, for, for um, teachers. I'm a big believer in dual enrollment, a big believer in AP and honors. I believe in reducing remedial classes, not reducing, I mean, I think we really have to close the achievement gap from the bottom up. So to me, we're going to have to help support teachers, in fact, to, uh, to, uh, to receive additional accreditation, to teach more. We need more AP teachers. Really one of the constraints on AP is just we don't have um, uh, sufficient numbers of qualified um, teachers to that are qualified specifically to teach AP courses. So we're gonna have to give opportunities and then we're gonna have to pay those teachers um, proportionate to that increased uh, capacity to teach APs and to teach dual enrollment. And, 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 um, and so, you know, I don't know what to say. There's not a lot of, um, in, in terms of what you could do to put your finger on the scale, the budget's pretty, those are pretty tight constraints on the budget. And if we have the money, I'm very open to the fact we should spend it on not just teachers, but on classifieds and, um, and, and principals and other administrators. So it's not, I'm pretty open about that. I don't know what they would, you know, in terms of getting something additional, I don't know what, except for someone who's very competent and very familiar with their community and shares their values. Thanks for sharing that uh, answer with us. Um, and we'll get into many of those issues more broadly uh, that you yeah. brought out for sure. Uh, but let me ask you another distinction between the two of you. Obviously, you pointed out you were a native, long time San Diego, and I think you went away for school, but then came back uh, and got your PhD at UC San Diego, where you're now a lecturer. Mm -hmm. um, uh, your opponent relocated here from out of state um, just a few years ago. Um, you know, I understand, I don't, I'm not asking this in terms of your strengths. So obviously, there's a value to you understanding San Diego and the culture and the district, but is it really a negative to have an outside view? Talk to me a little bit about the distinction there and the viewpoint that an outsider might bring. Why, why is your uh, perspective uh, a better choice for voters than someone who can kind Thanks of- the question. Thanks for the question. Yeah. I mean, I don't think there's, to me, there's not really much question. It's an enormous, um, it's an, I mean, anybody who knows my political work and advocacy work knows that I'm not exactly a mainline establishment. I've been a progressive voice in general, and um, and a, a critical voice on a lot of um, a lot of issues, um, both in relation to um, government and in relation to my to my own party. So uh, I, I'm I'm a little I'm a little bit of an outsider even within that framework. But what I would say uh, in general um, is that um, look I. Uh, we we had, my opponent and I had an initial disagreement in a, in one of the cluster meetings about whether or not um, uh, whether or not uh, Standing Unified's per pupil funding was second in the country or thirty second in the country. Um, but to have that, she believed it was second in the country, and I said, "There's no, that's absolutely not not correct." Um, but but to have those kinds of misunderstandings is it demonstrates the fact that 
you need really for California, you need to have a, a like a long durée understanding of, of our schools <laughs> to come into this thing sort of in medias rays and not understand the impact of Prop 13 on school budgets. Uh, the way that we, I, I'm, I came in in the sort of very dark days in terms of budgeting post Prop 13. I started at Santa Fe in 1980 as a you know little little kindergartner. I think it was 1980. Um, so, you know, I came up in bungalow world, you know, I came up and to not like, and I luckily was out by uh, well before the 2012, where we were what, 48th in the country in per pupil funding. I mean, you really need to understand, you, first of all, at the level of administering the district and understanding the way that the, the budgets get cooked in Sacramento and that we try to do what we can within those constraints. I really think it's an enormous advantage. And certainly if for your educational reporters and your reporters more broadly to understand that that where our current conjuncture is with our current governor is within the long spread of the history of Santa Unified and its budgeting and education per se in California and is, is important but even more fundamental I'm running I, my understanding of a school board the reason you have a school board lots of countries the vast majority of countries we may even be relatively unique in this regard certainly throughout Europe you have bureaucratic education um, education systems, and they do not have democratic oversight of their educational systems. So really the core of what a board does, it's not five additional superintendents, it's five people that are guaranteeing, it's probably universally five, although there may be departures locally somewhere, they're guaranteeing that the, that public education is serving the interests and the values of the communities that are in, ultimately funding it. It's it's providing a community service. It's not, obviously, students and parents are like our primary um, uh, consumer in a certain regard. But if you take a sub-district like sub-district C, it is a perfect example. We are very, we are ahead on a, on a disturbing curve of declining enrollment sub-district C. We have 100 and close to 190,000 citizens of voting age, 130,000 voters, uh, and we have just over 8,000 students enrolled in the district. Compare that to Subdistrict E with a with it a, a comparable population that has 31,000. So we have very low enrollment, and if you think of the district as just subsidizing those 8,000 students, their families to send them to school. You're going, that district is going to collapse. The people's faith in public education is going to collapse. You have to think of public education as ultimately serving the community, as helping young children become the kinds of adults that we want to share the world with uh, in lots of aspects, not just in, in, in the relationship as being our children or being students, but they're going to become the, the they're going to become the, the people that our neighbors, the people that help our grandparents across the street, our employees, et cetera. And so in that regard, I think having community roots, having 47 years of experience in the community um, with, as you pointed out, gaps for education or my, my dissertation field work was in Peru. So I was gone for a couple of years there. Um, but it's, it's not just a, a nice additional thing. It is a fundamental part of being a school board member. You have to represent the values, the culture, uh, the, uh, the needs and interests of your community. And if you're detached from your community, there's really, you're really just your own voice ultimately with a series of stakeholders or donors that may be putting pressure on you or whatever. So I really believe that having those roots is, is a core element of being a school board member. 
And let's get into some of the issues, starting with um, the one on a lot of people's mind right now, you know, post, not post, but uh, at this stage of the pandemic, yeah. uh, the learning loss or learning lag, I think you also referred to it as in, in your Q&A. And thanks for your detailed answers on that. Some of these questions you can hear today are follow-up questions to what you sent us in writing. What specific approaches, I know you talked about one-on-one -on -one help and tutoring, but Beyond that, maybe what you didn't mention, what, what would you focus on first to address the, the learning lag, which in reality is a continuation of an achievement gap that has existed for a long time? Now, you've really put put your finger right squarely on it. Um, in large part, first of all, I would genuinely like to see much more granular data on, on the impacts for our district. We've got state-level data um emerging state level data on the impacts of the pandemic but if what if we actually want to number one compare how how we respond to the pandemic and and whether we were successful and um what we could do better if, if such a thing occurred in the future um and number two if we want to understand the nature of the impacts on our communities at like a school and cluster level we're going to need better data I, I hear a lot of people saying you know we should have closed Five weeks we open five weeks earlier. I, my opponent thinks we shouldn't uh, we shouldn't have closed at all. There's there's a lot of differing opinions about it, but but frankly, we need a lot better data and we need granular data that can allow us to make make um, conclusions about the way both both the way we handle the pandemic for the future and the impacts of the pandemic. Number one, we need better data. Um, number two, I would say, so I'm on the school site council and site governance team at at Torrey Pines Elementary and. That gives you like a very, and this is one of the things I learned to her credit, I spent a, eight months running side by side with, with Lily Higman. And Lily really came out of that incubator of, of school site council, site governance, DAC, um, foundation work for many, many years. And if you run side by side with a person and you're not learning the best from them, you're in some serious trouble. And I learned an enormous amount from that perspective. And I would say now, as someone on the site governance team, school site council, lots of things emerge in discussions with um, with principals uh, and with educators about about the impacts on their students. Now, Torrey Pines Elementary is a very affluent school, uh, and um, and you see, honestly, we've seen what we've seen so far is fairly modest impacts from the pandemic. Um, uh, we were able to have very very good um, to, to my mind, very good online learning opportunities at the school. Uh, we have, we obviously have a lot of parental support. We have parents that are in general educated and were able to work from home because they have the kinds of jobs. So you had a lot of parental oversight. Um, my art, my daughter's teacher, for instance, was able to loop and she held on to the same class, which was amazing for, for the level of comfort the students had and level of rapport. They, they established that rapport in person and then she was able to carry that over. So our district, our school there and probably the La Jolla cluster and the other clusters of sub-district C probably had fairly modest uh, uh, impacts. Um, and to the extent we're seeing impacts on our CASP on, on sort of emerging scores, it's with that 9% of the student population that's in the identified, in, in identified category, unduplicated categories like English language learners, um, uh, BIPOC, Latino, um, and, and, and disabled students or students with, um, with disabilities. We, we, do, we, do, we are seeing more la learning lag associated with that underlying achievement gap, as you noted.
right, today the San Diego Union Tribune editorial board is joined by Becca Williams, uh, one of the candidates for San Diego Unified School Board Subdistrict C. Uh, thanks, Becca, for joining us today. Thank you for this opportunity and for hosting us. Yeah, and let me just start by reading some of the criticism that your opponent has had for you and ask you um, to address that in his Q&A uh, for us, and I'll just read it here. He said that you arrived three years ago from Texas, does not enroll her school-age children in the district, and is running on natural culture war issues. Um, so I, th those three things, I guess we can handle them sequentially. You arrived three years ago from Texas, obviously with experiences of your own, which we can get into and just talk about charter schools. Um, but talk to us about being an outsider and what, what, you know, how, how important that is to you and, and whether that's an asset or, or a detriment. Um, so I'll talk about the very first one because I can, I, I think this is funny, but um, I've been accused of being from Texas, but I'm not from Texas. I'm from Wisconsin. Uh, I was in Texas for two years. So I've been accused of many things, but that one I think is easily dismissed. I am a proud uh, Wisconsin native. Okay. Uh, I think the Texas image is so interesting because people immediately associate many things with it. And I'm just surprised how often it comes up. But uh, as a historical fact, I've had to go around to reporters uh, and ask them to not do that. So the, the charter school that I'm associated with is in Texas, but I was only there for two years of my life. Uh, and it's not uh, you know, a deep part of my formation. I have nothing against Texans. I kind of say that as a joke that it, I've been accused of this, but um, I'm not from Texas. Okay. Um, Thank you for clarifying that. Secondly, uh, the charter school thing, I, it, it is a totally true fact on Cody's part that I don't have kids in the school district and that's a valid claim. And I think that resonates with people that my kids are, are young and uh, his kids are in the schools and he participates in that way. So that is true. How are your kids and, and, and what are they doing for school? I, I have a three and a half year old and a one and a half year old. And the three and a half year old goes to a preschool three days a week right now. That's a neighborhood preschool. Um, and then the last one, the national culture war. Um, I really think this is a straight out, straight out of the California Teachers Association playbook that they've been uh, kind of passing around how to undermine certain candidates running for a race and make them look radioactive and toxic. Like we're all single issue voters, we're all, or, candidates and we're all participating in something that doesn't exist. I don't, I, you're not going to find an interview of me really talking about critical race theory. I don't give those interviews. Uh, I find the word very unhelpful and uh, I've given a ton of interviews and I don't steer them towards those issues. And so I think that's, I think he's trying there to kind of pin me down as something that can get really attacked and trampled on, but I don't think that that's not my campaign message. That's not my website message. Um, the, the interviews I give, I don't think that that's true. Um, and I do think that it's a wise strategy because you will immediately make candidates look toxic to others. Uh, so I would say that um, I see where he's going with that, but I don't think that I'm that candidate. Okay. He, when, we, when we interviewed him this morning, actually, I asked him what he meant by that culture war statement. And he referred to a mailer that I haven't seen, so I'm going off his reference, in, from the primary that talked about um, critical race theory specifically. Was there such a mailer or is that not the case? 
there there was a mailer and it got posted in uh, the Voice of San Diego. And this was a piece for, by the Republican Party. I did not write it. Um, and I also didn't design it. And it says paid for by the Republican Party. I would uh, I don't take credit for it. I don't use those kinds of words. I've never referred to a group of people as we the people before ever. Uh, and so I think that language uh, was was designed by a campaign consultant to get voters off the couch, basically. Got and that's how, that's how those mailers work. Yeah, okay. Um, let's get into some of the issues. Um, I, I first want to start talking about the pandemic and, and learning loss. You've been critical of the district's response to the pandemic, which we can talk about as well. But what I'm interested in, in, in hearing your thoughts on is all the students who have fallen behind uh, as a result of uh, Zoom school for two years. Um, what would you do as a school board member to help them um, make those gains? And, and how would you address the larger issue of the achievement gap, which obviously has existed prior to the pandemic? Yeah, I appreciate that you added those questions and those are the ones that are harder to pin down practically and you start to get a sense of, you know, what, what is she actually gonna do? Um, two things that I've been offering to people are one, are phonetic types of learning for the K-3. I really think that you have to get the K, you can teach someone to learn to read pretty quick with these phonetic programs. Um, and I don't know the extent to which uh, San Diego Unified uses a broad range of different programs to, to boost the reading. You're, you're kind of, um, you're learning to read um, and then you're reading to learn after that and kids have a lot of problems catching up with gaps. So the first thing is that the second thing where I differ most and this probably came through with some of the questions on, um, on classroom culture and discipline are um, my, my kind of approach to classroom order which it, it, uh, I'm not like, uh, you know, for beating rulers on desks or anything like that. But I do think if you were to go tour schools, if you were to go to a charter school and then go tour some of the San Diego Unified schools, you would notice an immediate difference in terms of what the kids are doing and whether or not they're paying attention uh, and uh, how, um, how, you know, what, what is the recourse and the standard procedures for what a teacher does. And I think this has been uh, one of the most underrated reasons for teacher shortages and teachers leaving the profession is that the, the way that they're asked to kind of hold a classroom and the way kids flow from room to room, it makes it really difficult to teach. And that was one of the things that the charter school I taught for did really well. And I believe the ones I'm associated with now do exceptionally well. How about the mental health aspects? A lot of that, I mean, you know, you talked about the achievement issues and discipline, but how about mental health? A lot of students and their family members, um, uh, you know, have had mental health challenges because of the pandemic. How, how would you address those? And not just for the students, but for the teachers as well. Um, I think I'm a big proponent of group work. And I think, because um, when you start asking about mental health, I have a very small background in um, in these topics. I was studying to become a mental health counselor, a clinical mental health counselor before I ran for school board. And I just think in terms of scaling and uh, efficiency and doing stuff, where they're talking, a lot of the talk is about adding an individual counselor to each school site. And I think uh, I, I'm also a proponent for group work. I find that there's a synergy that happens in group work that is way better than um, talk therapy in certain regards because you have the whole group there to affirm you. 
And when you have group leaders that are really good at creating the conditions for a group of people to kind of be seen and heard and affirmed, I found that to be really effective. And so I think the question isn't so much adding a counselor to every single campus, which might be a big, um, a, a big difficulty to kind of overcome for the district at this point that I, I would be a big advocate for group work and, um, and promoting that in the schools as a way to scale the mental health problem. And also I, I, I really do believe it's, uh, it, it can bring healing that individual talk therapy cannot. And when you say group work, just succinctly, briefly, what do you mean, what do, what do you mean by that? A counselor trained to, uh, I mean, sit in circle, that's the, uh, with a, a group of people that they lead them through a series of um, uh, dialogue and um, question and answer and activities, and it's meant to, um, for people to allow themselves to be vulnerable and to be aware of their own thought processes and patterns and for that to be done in a group that's a you know a closed space where there's agreed upon um, confidentiality and um, an order that's given to the group for a short amount of time and you create this uh, space where you allow certain things to happen and it's not just uh, a counselor. That's what it looks like. Thank you. Can I ask you about um, school violence? I'm sorry, I missed the introductions at the beginning. I'm Laura Castaneda, Deputy Editor, and I've been communicating with you online. Um, can you tell us if you are, um, you know, would you like to see metal detectors in the schools? Do you think they're needed? And how do you feel about teachers being armed? And what do you think is missing from keeping our schools safe, given all these mass shootings and other horrible things that we hear about? I'm not an expert in security contracting, but I'm aware that there are people who spend their lives focusing on how to make certain sites safe. And I think those are questions that need to be explored um, with a security contractor who's really an expert in that. And I know San Diego has reached out to such individuals and they haven't followed through with their recommendations for securing the campuses. I noticed recently in a candidate form, there's actually a real movement to downplay the need to secure campuses. So with all the bond money that's that's come up, this has been a topic. Um, with the $8 million in bond funding, they've only spent 120 million on campus security. And so it really has never been a focus to, to implement security measures. Um, in, in the way that it's been sold to the public that they're gonna do this. And I just think it, it, the, the effect of a school shooting grabs hold of people for a period of time and everyone agrees we're going to do something, but it is amazing how fast that actually goes away when it comes to planning a budget and deciding where to put funds. And I think in the candidate form I've, uh, that I participated in, the candidates again and again say it's not just about the campus security and they're, they're doing it again, which is to downplay the need to get a security contractor. It's not a it's not a political person. It's just someone that will advise you uh, how to secure a, a premises. Um, the question you asked, I really want to answer your questions and not dodge them either. I'm not one of those candidates. So you asked something about teachers carrying guns. And I forget what the other thing was. Metal detectors. Metal detectors. Um, I feel about those. I'm okay with metal detectors. Um, as far, I don't, think that people who are not trained to use firearms should be carrying firearms. 
Um, and I don't, um, me personally, I don't have a gun in my house um, because I have children and that, that concerns me. Um, and I think that those are interesting questions. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't have an inclination to arm teachers though. I think that's uh, an interesting question, but not maybe practical or, um, yeah, there, a firearm is a, is a weapon that can discharge at any time uh, if it's improperly used. And I think when you, when you have that, I just don't, I don't see it. I, I, the, I think the inspiration behind it is probably good, but uh, not practical uh, or feasible. And I, I also wonder about the legalities of that. Metal detectors, I'm okay with metal detectors. I think um, there might be some sort of stigma associated, but I think the benefit of um, passing through a school might might be helpful. That's that's my that's my first reaction to it. I honestly had not considered the question before. Some of your opponents, or not some of your opponents, some of the candidates in this race, not in your race, uh, Mr. Higa, have been sharply critical of standardized tests and say that. They, they are not helpful tools who, as part of getting students to improve and getting schools to get better. But interestingly, your opponent was not in that camp. Your opponent says that uh, they need to be used with care, but that testing and metrics matter. So to me, that's kind of like one of the weaknesses of a lot of the California education establishment is that they reduce measuring students or they, re they reject metrics and they're leery of, of doing testing that reflects poorly on the establishment. So where are you on this whole picture? How valuable are metrics and standardized testing? Can they be misused? Or are they just another tool that most of the nation uses without thinking that there's any big problem with them? I don't know what Cody exactly articulated there, but it sounds like a, the, a response that I would also give, which is the response that I gave, which is that they are really important. They are being downplayed. Um, and there's always ways to poke at them and say, listen, you missed a student here who was really good and should have gotten into something, but just was a bad test taker and just had a stressful day. And there's always kids like that. But I don't think you take the exception and make it the paradigm for understanding the whole. And that's kind of what uh, I, I believe happens with some of the ways of trying to re-engineer testing. There are kids who fall through the cracks because of tests, because it doesn't capture everything. And there's always been problems. But on the whole, uh, I'm for reforming tests. I'm not for getting away with them. And they're really important. You really do catch um, pretty well for the most part where someone is at, particularly in math and science. The humanities, it's a little bit difficult to more difficult to grade. English and um, you know the science and social studies; those are harder subjects to grade. Math and science are really uh, testing is 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 able to give a pretty precise gauge of where someone is at. Thanks again for listening. For more election coverage, including Q and A's with the candidates, video interviews, and pro and con essays about state and local ballot propositions, go online to San Diego Union Tribune.com/election2022. Thanks for listening. <laughs>